Hi, we're sisters Amy and Nancy Harrington, the founders of the Passionistas Project podcast, where we give women a platform to tell their own unfiltered stories. On every episode, we discuss the unique ways in which each woman is following her passions, talk about how she defines success, and explore her path to breaking down the barriers that women too often face. Today, we're talking with Holly Berry about the power of flowers. Holly is the founder of A Natural Design, where she connects people to nature through the language of flowers. She shares the gifts of the Zen feelings that come from a Pacific Northwest hike and walking in an arboretum to help melt away the concern and worry in your day. So please welcome Holly Berry. Thanks so much for having me today. It's so great to have you here. We're really excited for this conversation. We've been looking forward to it for a while. So Holly, what are you most passionate about? Well, that's a long list. <laughs> um, let's see, I have three photo shoots scheduled this year. So I've been having a lot of fun um, collaborating with like the makeup artists, the photographers, the models, um, all of that on the side. And that's like one of the first things I'll do when I wake up in the morning or one of the last things I'll do, you know, when I'm falling to sleep is catch up on the IMs and help with like the project management part of it. Make sure I got all my materials for the like floral or botanical. Sometimes they want me to do like the stage design, stage setting and stuff. So um, that's been a big part of it. I recently started finally being able to shift to create digital products for the company. And so that's been a long time goal that had to wait until I graduated because I was like working full time and school full time. So that shift just now, um, I think I originally identified I wanted to do that in 2020. So just now I got the first two DIY bouquet kits up in our Etsy shop over the last month. That's amazing. So everything you do, even the like digital products, everything centers around flowers, right? So what is where does that passion come from? What was it something in your youth that, you know, attracted you to nature? Absolutely. Yeah. So I grew up in a place where we had lots of land and it was like near mountains, trees and water. And it was one of those childhoods that I wish every child could have where you were allowed to go out as soon as you woke up and just be home by dinner. And so the that that peacefulness um, kind of like Nancy read in the bio off my Patreon having like that close like experience of that complete peacefulness with nature as a child is something that I wish everyone could experience and a lot of times you can only do that if you're like in a greenhouse surrounded by plants or on a, a trail walking with the forest around you and <clears throat> when I was in high school I believe the English teacher was, yeah, high school. One of the English teachers had an assignment and she said, write about any job you would want if you got to pick your own job. And so I was like, okay, well, what would I want to do that wouldn't sound like actual work? And I'm like, how could I play with, you know, plants and flowers without, you know, having to necessarily dig a hole, <laughs> you know, or like chop wood? And so being a florist is what I put and what I wrote this essay about. Well, she took that paper and gave it to the math teacher and he was this really really amazing like he would bend over backwards to try to help the kids and his wife actually owned a flower shop so through the grapevine at the school um his wife ended up contacting me and was like hey you know we need help do you want to come work here and so that was my first experience working around flowers was and it was all just the grunt work but it was really important to learn how to process the flowers clean the buckets 
you know, keep the shop clean, serve the customers at a pretty young age. And that's, that was my first introduction to it. Wow. That's incredible. So then, so then how did it go from there? Like what was your first uh, job as like a floral designer? Yeah. Yeah. I moved to Seattle um, when I was 20 and I turned 21 that same year. And it was one of those restart buttons. I like showed up with uh, $2,000 in my pocket and <laughs> like, you know, all the optimism in the world. And luckily at that age, you have the energy as well. <laughs> no clue what cost of living in Seattle was like or anything like that. But the first job, you know, it was kind of that reset. So I was looking through newspapers, like actually printed newspapers at the time. And there was an ad in there for a florist. And so I was like, well, let's see what happens. And I applied for it. <clears throat> And they had me do a live demonstration of it. Luckily, um, from high school on, when I would help at florist shops, um, I had learned uh, enough from just taking home all the extra throwaway flowers and practicing with them at home that by the time I got there to actually apply for a job and do a demonstration in front of them, which I was really nervous, I was like, you know, hands were a little shaking and everything, but I was able at that point to put together something that was worthy of them offering me the job. And so I took it and that was my very first job in Washington. And so you've now got your own floral design company um, called A Natural Design. So how did that come about? Why, when and why did you finally strike out on your own? Every holiday, so I've I've had a career in industries that um, in my mind would pay better, be more secure, but every holiday florists have to hire extra help, especially for Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. So between regular career jobs or on extra holidays, it was always easy to pick up a little bit of work here and there and always keep that little love alive. And in 2019, um, I went back to school to get my bachelor's in science for business management. And at that time, I was like, well, I need to do something that can be completely flexible around the schedule. And at the time, one of my mentors advised me, well, okay, what are you passionate about that you think you do really well that wouldn't wear you out that, you know, you can just turn the key and go. And I'm like, well, floral design, but that doesn't sound really lucrative. And they just encouraged me enough to where I took the plunge and started like announcing coming soon on YouTube and stuff like that. And as slowly over the years, um, since 2019 till now, it's actually a profitable business. That's amazing. And you do such incredible work. Like you say floral design mm -hmm. and everyone thinks like, Oh, yeah, you know, pretty bouquet of roses or something, which nothing wrong with that. But your floral design is art. It's really, 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 really gorgeous. Um, Thank <laughs> and you. In addition to the floral shop, you do stuff like corporate orders and weddings and parties and things like that. So tell us what inspires you about that kind of work. Yeah. Oh, so it's it's a lot. Um, it it requires all the finesse of project management and usually in a short amount of time. We just had an order in December that came in through text on a Friday night for uh, a 500 employee banquet the next Thursday. And it was a Hail Mary because it was right before Black Friday. <laughs> And like, so the assistant for, um, uh, it was like a manufacturing or real estate developer. They were going to have a corporate party at this really fancy restaurant in my area and they couldn't, none of the other florists would take it. And I'm like, you know, 
if we can come to terms and I can send you an invoice that you're willing to pay the deposit on by Sunday, I can guarantee my staff enough to be able to complete this order. So it was this like crazy mix of back and forth and, and they were, and it was um, a couple of ladies that were heading up the decorations for this. So of course they're way more clued and cued into exact colors and everything and with black friday it was like we could only source from local shops there's no way to get like amazon overnight delivery wasn't even happening at that point and so it was a lot of fun because it was like this impossible hail mary task and for an event and to you know take their inspiration photos that they found off of pinterest go source the materials get it approved by them and then get them the prototype out as quick as i could it was a lot of fun it was just a little crazy for a minute and how many people did you pull together to make that happen there was about five people all together and it was a, it was a touch and go so it was like okay i got i got this inquiry what's your week look like okay I got the bid out to them. How's your schedule still looking? <laughs> and then it was like, I got the deposit. Let's put it the time in now. So one of my favorite assistants um, even would come up before, you know, like after her lunch, before she went home after work just to help. And the little things all add up. So she was like scrubbing the price tags off, clipping thing. Like, you know, you know, you don't think about like every piece of this material is going to come with some sort of tag on it that has to come off. And there's like thousands of small pieces that you have to put together. So um, it was fascinating to add up all her hours at the end. And I think it was only like nine or 10 hours, but what a difference it made where I wasn't the one having to like scrub off stickers to make sure that it wasn't showing. Yeah, that is probably one of my least favorite household tasks. <laughs> I have I have like a, a cabinet full of mugs that still have half a sticker on the bottom. <laughs> I, I bought a new set of glasses right before Christmas and they all had the sticker like right on the bottom, the whole thing. It was, oh, and I, I just like threw them in the dishwasher with the sticker on hoping that they would like steam off or something. Mom. And my husband's like, why did you put those in the dishwasher? Did it work? <laughs> no, it did not work, but my husband oh. is fabulous and he scraped them all off for me. Oh, good guy. Thank you, yeah. husband. <laughs> that's a keeper. That's a keeper right there. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> no, I mean, that's actually a, when it comes to design and that extra help, my significant other is amazing and he lets me use all the tools that he has. Mm -hmm. And so he's teaching me how to use drills and like saws and heat guns. And so my like arsenal for being able to create things is just like exponentially increased in ability due to that wow that's amazing and and it seems really necessary because we were watching a video that you do that you did of one of your photo shoots and we'll we'll add a link to it on our website but um it was of a photo shoot and you had flowers all down the side of a woman's face yeah i think that was uh was it in blue a blue theme yes yeah that was one of the most recent ones so it was uh, Mrs. Westwind, like a windmaker theme. Yeah, that was a good one. It's so amazing. And, and I'd never seen anything like that. So talk about your process for, explain to everybody what it is and, okay. and, um, and what is your process for creating a piece like that? Yeah, so um, I tend to call it floral fusion. So when people are asking me about it, um, they don't know how to describe it. And it, this is a really good example because that model that approached me that wanted to collaborate, 
I was like, well, I want it to be like this and like this. And I've seen it here. And she's like, and I don't know what to call it. I was like, well, I use the term floral fusion for it, if that helps. And so then it it made it so she could like package it and explain her like kind of request in it. So with floral fusion, um, I love to find ways and I haven't even scratched the surface. Like I just ordered a book on eat your flowers, flower, like incorporating flowers into food, but I like to see how I can incorporate that into fashion, into food, you know, everything above and beyond just the flowers in a vase thing. And so with that, it's kind of like high fashion flowers. I also did a couple of full body maddenkins for um, Fleur de Ville's. And so that's in French, the flowers of the cities. And they, they're they a disruptor company run by women that travel all over the world. And they'll do these events where the florist in the area dress up these mannequins and all flowers. And so I'd had some experience with that um, since 2019. And so taking that and then putting it onto real people is the next step. And so I've done little pieces here and there, but different from a mannequin, like they have to move and they have to be able to get back out of it. And so I just bought uh, one of those sewing mannequins where it has adjustable body pieces. And I'm so excited to to get a full dress in flowers because that's been a huge request from the local creators the photographers and the models since they saw it on a mannequin so with her um there is an 1800s uh painting called venus and on the left hand side of the painting there's these two characters that are zyphers or like wind gods and so the theme of this one was to have her be one of those zyphers and so um, the hair veil is like two clips with this really like, I think it was like a 12 foot white veil on it. And so I put flowers going from each clip all the way down, like in a three foot loop around the back. And then I did body flowers that um, went on the side of her face to try to make it look like it was almost all one piece. And then from there, I just added on a wrist corsage for her to give her like a three accessory costume piece for that um, vision. Wow. So, 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 so beautiful. So now these photo shoots that you do, you collaborate with photographers and models and it's a, is it, is, is the purpose mainly for like their portfolios? So they have this art piece to, or is there, is there other purpose for doing the photo shoots? I think that would be the primary pur purpose. Uh, we use the term TFP or trade for photos a lot of times. So usually it's a collaborative group effort. And then the result of it, as all of us share it on our social media profiles, we do our best to tag and name the credits of all the people involved. Um, I have had people that will want quotes for these things. Um, I haven't had anyone, because it is pretty spendy the amount of time and materials, I haven't had anybody actually buy it, but I put out probably about six quotes now um, related to people seeing things online and wanting to know if they could get it. I mean, I understand that it may be pricey, but it is, we'll, we'll get some photos for Holly from Holly in addition to linking out to her website and we'll post them on our, our website as well. But these things are gorgeous and I would imagine like if you're spending a ton of money on a wedding anyway like you one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is the shawls that you make because if I were a bride I would have a shawl made and I would have a bunch of wedding photos taken with the shawl I'm already spending a ton of money on the flowers for the wedding anyway so describe the shawls and is that an idea that you came up with or had you seen those were you inspired by someone else's work 
um, I think you're talking about the one where it's really golden and looks like, okay, yeah. So um, I wanted to do a sage theme and sage is a hard one because when you're dealing with the archetypes, a lot of them are easily recognizable, but sage is kind of one of those ones where it's like half in between a wizard, half in between like a queen, you know? And so that was the, the whole concept for that one. And I hadn't seen shawls like that anywhere else before, but it, the like cape type thing that I found that was in all gold, it looked like that particular costume that I wanted that would match like a sage theme for the model would go really well with a shawl of flowers. So just from each shoulder and around the back and slightly over the front of the shoulders. And so with that, um, I take like a thin, like one eighth inch, um, like foam, like you know, it's kind of like a yoga mat, but a little bit lighter weight, and then put the flowers on that and attach that to the cape. Um, people could just do the shawl on its own, and then it could connect in the front, you know, with some sort of a ribbon or have some sort of like shoulder piece that helps secure it over the shoulder. Um, that was a really fun one. That's a beautiful one. I actually started writing my first book, um, and I might put one of those photos on the front of it because there's one scene that I set designed with her in it where I put this really old cool looking book in her lap and so she's sitting there with you know all these flowers in her hair and this uh, shawl piece and then has this cool old book in her lap too. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, there's like four more follow-ups in that sentence. Um, <laughs> let's start with set design. You said you've said that a few times so tell us about the set design that you do for these photo shoots. Yeah, yeah. So if someone doesn't already know what they want for it, but they have, they're like, okay, I have a model, I'm the photographer, uh, you know, maybe they don't already have the theme or the wardrobe or anything like that, you can kind of help them figure out what mood they're going for. If they're doing something more than just a blank background, then it involves props or, you know, certain kinds of backdrops. And so with set design, um, I utilize my, I did one year at Seattle School of Visual Concepts. And so I utilize a lot of that uh, ability in trying to help pick pieces and backdrops. And usually the photographers have the lighting figured out, but to help it all come together to give a unified feeling or, you know, era or, you know, color. That's so fun. I, I, did you ever imagine when you, you know, wrote that, that essay about wanting to be a florist that you'd be able to expand that interest into so many different areas? had not a clue. I thought at that point in my life that floral design just meant like flowers in a vase or maybe a bride's bouquet. That was my complete exposure to flowers as a child. And the other thing that you, I, that's the thing I'm most in love with of all the things I've seen, and I told you we were going to fangirl out on you, but um, is the wings that you, you I, wings, yeah. So can you describe those and how did you think of those? Yeah, that was another collaboration. So um, I I have it in the Etsy shop for sale as botanical costume wings. And I wanted to do like an angel theme. And so it was like, okay, well, the wings are a no brainer. The hard part was the dress and the body flowers. But the wings were, um, I think only like maybe $40. They were a base of like cardboard and feathers that we got off of Amazon. And then I pulled in one of my assistants to do the majority of like um, 
pampas grass on it and then we put dried roses and silk roses and flowers on it as well with some amaranthus like if people don't know what that is it's like a really droopy flower that's fuzzy like it looks like a tail an animal's tail and so we put like those on the end of it and had the model um, wear those over the dress and then put enough flower over the top where you couldn't see the straps holding it on. And I, there's so many photos. Um, I, I need to really put some time on the calendar to get them in some of my um, dropship print on demand gift collections because those wings and even the photos I took on my cell phone is doing just behind the scenes stuff of those wings it just all turned out incredible. And is, so this is something that people buy from you? No one's bought them yet, but they're, Not yet. I, okay. yeah, they're Etsy, for sale. Etsy has, is like, so-and-so put this in their shopping cart. So-and-so favorited this item. And those, that, those botanical wings are actually one of the like items that gets the most action on the Etsy shop. Oh, they're so, they're really just so gorgeous. Yeah. It's just a matter of time before a, before they're in a huge magazine. Like I just picture, I know they don't do the, um, I don't, I know they don't do the uh, Victoria's Secret runway thing anymore, but like, I just picture these supermodels in them. And then once that people see awesome. them, they're going to, everybody's going to want them for their wedding and their, you know, special events. They're just, they're beautiful. And I've never seen anything like your work before. Oh, thank you. That's actually exciting. That inspires me to <laughs> make some more beautiful things yeah. they they are priced like actual appropriately for what it would cost and that's another reason why no one's probably bought it yet and I just uh secured a warehouse space too so I actually have the space to just leave them at the correct price <laughs> and let them sit there until somebody wants them if I ever need to you know make more space I can always reduce the price down but it's it's fun to just have all that stuff in the studio ready yeah. Yeah. You'll find your people. The people are out there that are willing to pay for them because they're so worth it. They're so beautiful. And you mentioned the warehouse space. We wanted to ask you about that. So you've just expanded into a warehouse. So tell us about that process. So excited about that. I have been looking for places offsite out of my garage to be able to scale up because it's fine if I know, you know, some of the assistants I've had working here personally, and I'm not so worried about it, but trying to bring in gig workers or complete strangers um, that I found, you know, apps and resources for all this to pull that in to really scale up. I was like, I need offsite. And so I found one finally that was in my area only 15 minutes away and this was two years ago two and a half now so they are so popular that you would get on a wait list and they would send a mass email out the minute one of the spaces would open up and everyone that was interested in it would respond with like their credit card number so whoever got their credit card number to this company fast enough and I went through at least three iterations and it was like oh I didn't get it this time oh I didn't get it that time and finally they had another one um, in January, early January, no, early December. And that mass email went out and I was like, credit card number. I want that one. And two weeks later they responded with, okay, here's the paperwork. And I'm like, Oh, so it has free Wi-Fi. It has a conference room where I could, you know, get people together if we wanted to collab and like screen share things and sit there and have coffee it has a little lounge area it has the restrooms my space personally is just this like 400 square foot box of a warehouse space within other boxes of warehouse space but every time I go there it's like the most happiest thing <laughs> which doesn't seem like it would be but I think it's because of all the potential it represents 
Yeah, and because you're around other collaborative, creative people, which is so cool. Do you um, tend to work with like the same photographers and stuff? Do you have a team that you like to, the creative team you like to work with? I have a few that are kind of like the first um, origin story photographers is what I tell them. And so my significant other is an awesome photographer. He, all his camera equipment is actually made for race cars because he's a rally race car driver. But he was sweet enough that when I was like, hey, I got a, a photo shoot with a model. Would you be interested? He's actually done a lot of those photos, too. But there's um, some face group groups of collected like creators where there's a bunch of them, just like hundreds of them. And so I think 20 late 20. No, summer of 2019 was our very first photo shoot with some of the people that I met through these groups. And it's just um, built from there. I actually have to be careful and really selective now about what I sign up for. So all of the ones that I've worked with prior to this year, um, I told them, okay, you can come use my space for free. You know, just tell other people if you can, <laughs> that might actually want to like give me a, a tip or something like that. And so there's probably about five of them that have a, a closer orbit. And then from there, I'll be meeting a lot of new ones now that I actually have a year round indoor warm space where people aren't freezing to be able to do this. So does the warehouse space have photography space too? Do you shoot there as well? Or do you just build the, the floral designs? No, it's actually big enough to where we can have a photography space. So I took all of our um, starter equipment. So we got backdrops and reflectors and all of that. So I took all of our stuff stuff there. And then I'll probably slowly be adding some extra that I've gotten requests for from a couple of photographers that have um, taken tours. And so they're like, okay, well, this is actually really nice. Do you think you'd ever be you know, putting this light type of thing in there that would just be there to use. And so I have a list um, to be able to start once I get the floral um, workshop all in there, then I can start buying some of that other equipment that the photographers would be able to come in and use. Well, that's perfect. It'll be it'll be really great. Yeah, yeah. especially with the free Wi Fi. Yeah. I, isn't that amazing? That's like such a deal breaker at this point. You know, <laughs> I saw a Maslow's hierarchy comic that someone had hand written on the bottom and it said electricity wi-fi and then the rest of it i was like oh that's so perfect <laughs> that is perfect um so you mentioned that you're writing a book tell us about that oh i'm super excited about it so i'm calling it um flower code for now um thanks to my sibling who is uh he works in machine learning and and i think it's also and he if he sees this apologies bro <laughs> it's like research and development and machine learning and everything he has like an engineering degree but when i was telling him about the book i started writing he was like well what if you called it flower code and what if you made code look like a computer code and so we played together on the app and i was sending him screenshots so for now i'm gonna go with that as the name it is inspired by the very first anime I saw when I was probably four or five years old, and it was called Hana no Ko Lun Lun. And it was this little girl that would travel around in adventures with her cat and her dog, and she had magic jewelry. And what little girl doesn't love magic jewelry, right? So when she would point it at a flower, it would change her outfit for her next adventure to like match whatever she would need for the next adventure. And I think she was in a search to like find her grandmother or something as I've had to start talking about this since I started writing it. I'm like, okay, now it's time to go rewatch those <laughs> a few decades. So it could have been someone else, you know, that she was trying to find, but 
it has that feature so she this character is like traveling through space and time like a multiverse type of situation and then it ties in with the language of flowers so i when i first picked the mission statement for natural design which is connecting you to nature through the language of flowers i didn't even know that the language of flowers was a thing i watched a movie last year that was like Nora Holmes it was like one of the recent ones where it's like Sherlock Holmes's little sister and so her sweetheart guy that liked her in the first film was like sketching flowers and all about flowers and I'm like well that's really cool but why why do they have the guy doing that typically stereotypically it's the girl and then I ran across when I started researching for the book that in the 1800s, people codified meanings for flowers. It's a whole thing. And I'm just so excited. So in my book, this character that's inspired from the anime is tying in stories where the meaning of the flower that has been codified since the 1800s comes into play and the whole storyline is about exemplifying it in action so like one of my favorite stories currently that I haven't like rewritten is of the basil flower and the basil flower in the meaning is hate and so I was like okay well how do you spin that into something positive so it has her like changing this evil queen's heart by creating this bouquet and like trying to tell the queen like your people hate you but trying to do it in a politically savvy way and so it has her like like should I put basil in here should I not should I and she's like okay I'm just going for it she puts the basil in and then she goes and presents the queen with this bouquet and because it was like the first time any of the you know uh, not servants but like the kingdom's people like actually did something bold like that it made the queen laugh and she was like wow I didn't think anyone could actually use hate in something so beautiful and then it like softened the queen's heart like the message got to her that her people didn't like her and so she kind of changed her ways because of it wow I am blown away I can like as you're talking I can picture like reading the book and then I can picture the TV series that's going to get made out of the series of books that you're going to write. That would be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I have 80% of the first draft of the first book done. And because there's so much in it and they're all just short stories, I was like, okay, let's just stop here. I think I made it through the H's. I might try to end on Holly because just for fun, right? And then I can carry it on from there and then I can research even more meanings to a wider selection of flowers and just keep it going from there. Will there be photos in the book of some of your creations? Yes. Yeah. Like that first one of the sage photo shoot where it's in all gold and she looks like royalty um, where she has a book on her lap. I'm wanting that currently is the cover of the book because it looks so magical, so mystical. And then as many of the stories that come close to some of the photo shoots that I've done, like there's a photo shoot um, where it has like this golden metal crown that I like put flowers all around and the photographer had the model like holding a sword for part of it and had like a gold upper body piece on the dress so she looks like a warrior queen or warrior princess because she's wearing the crown and she has the sword so I was kind of thinking that one would be perfect for the basil flower where it has like the hard queen involved. We're Amy and Nancy Harrington and you're listening to the Passionistas Project podcast and our interview with Holly Berry. To get connected to nature through the language of flowers, visit anaturaldesign.com. Now here's more of our interview with Holly. 
We want to mention that you have a Patreon so that people can directly support you. That and would be awesome. We will put the link to that in the show notes as well. So not that you haven't already talked about enough, but do you have other plans moving forward? You have a lot on your plate already. Well, right now, because even though all of this creative, like, just invigorating stuff is the passion um, on the like normal mainstream corporate side of things. I'm getting my project management certification. Um, so I have that in about six months, I should have that. And that'll be a nice resume booster. Well, and you're so good at that too. I mean, the reason we met you is because you collaborate with Kevin McDonald on his private talk radio show um, or positive talk, talk radio show. Um, and um, so talk about your work with Kevin and, and kind of what you do as a producer. Absolutely. I would be happy to. Yep. And this is the little mug. <laughs> <laughs> so it's positivetalkradio.net. And I met him a month or two before I graduated from my bachelor's degree. And I was looking for something to transition to that I wasn't you know, necessarily qualified before and just build the resume. So I I noticed in the meeting that this is for one of my other contracts I still have. He had headphones on and a really nice mic. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. We're waiting for, you know, some of the other people to show up in the meeting. I'm like, you know, why do you have such awesome gear to show up to just a paperwork meeting? He's like, oh, well, I have a podcast. Da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, that's so fun. So I listened to some of the episodes. I was like, he's really cool. What a nice guy. And then I emailed him like, hey, if you'd ever like me to show up on your podcast, I'd be happy to. I just listened to this one and it was really fun. And at that time he was actually, and I didn't know it, but he was actually looking for trying to onboard people to help him make his show, you know, grow and become more polished and professional. And I was like, well, I'm about ready to graduate. Like I'd be happy to see about helping. And so it was kind of that natural transition where we both had that opportunity and we we're both looking for the similar things that matched each other's, you know, place in life and skills. He loves to interview people that are trying to make the world better in some sort of way or have a positive message. And he loves to talk. See, he has the exact thing you need to be able to get on screen on a microphone five days a week. It blows my mind. So I think he's over 400 episodes now. And that was in late 21, where he decided to go with relaunching Positive Talk Radio. He originally had done it in like 2003, long, long time ago. He still has all those archived on CDs. He's actually starting to burn those and get them like up online so people can start listening to the original, uh, I call it PTR, PTR episodes. And it's just been a blast. It's been so much fun. And that's actually, you know, how I meet amazing people like you, Amy and Nancy. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun to be a guest on it. We've been on several times. Kevin is so wonderful. And you guys are both so supportive of the Passionistas Project, which we love. So we thank you for that. And we look forward to uh, many, many more guest spots on the show. So um, so let's talk a little bit about nature, because you're obviously so inspired by nature. Um yeah. Why do you think it's important for people to look beyond the car and the office and the homes and experience nature as much as possible? I think when they do that, they think twice about their impact. And our society here, at least, you know, in America, 
is so geared towards boxing people in and sep- and and it's just like this default you know originally it started by just survival and then convenience and so we live in boxes we live in houses we trans transit in boxes cars trains planes we work in boxes most of us not all of us you know but we're we're so sheltered and so enclosed that we kind of lose that connection with this ball that we all live on <laughs> and we don't understand you know unless you go out of your way to educate yourself on the impact you have to that you you have no clue we like just to figure out how to recycle plastic wrap where we live here i had to go on four different websites and one of them like had a listing but it said we don't upkeep this list this you know you have to actually check these locations when we posted this location it existed and so then i went to like three different locations and finally found one that still had the bin where you could deposit the plastic wrap and it's just little things like that it's not easy yeah that's for sure and i love that you you also say like you like to keep flowers and plants in your in your home that they you know what do you kind of feed off of when it comes to flowers and plants just being in your environment every day? Well, uh, emotionally, it relaxes me. Um, and physically, like they help filter the air. So a lot of, you know, that increased oxygen when you walk into a greenhouse or even if you're at, you know, a big box store like Home Depot, if you walk into their garden center area, if it's not all outdoors, you can actually feel like the difference in oxygen levels. So it has a really positive effect on your health as well as your emotional state. There's um, studies that have come out where people that had PTSD actually had like marked noticeable um, healing that just came from sitting in nature, like on a routine basis. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. it Yeah. It's amazing. So um, why is it important for you? You and Kevin support women's causes a lot on your show. So why is it important for you to support other women in business? I believe it's because the world would be a better place. If thing, if there weren't glass ceilings, if there was equal pay, there's other studies that the, especially the Euro area nations have done and their like happiness levels that are like surveyed are some of the highest ranking ones, you know, in the whole world where there's that equality. Yeah. It's crazy that people don't understand that it's a positive thing to have everybody, you know working on the same level playing field. Um, Hopefully we'll get there someday. I'm hopeful as well, especially now that information's so easily shared and that there are studies that prove that it is a positive thing. Yeah, and I also think that more because of the Me Too movement and things like that, people, men are more aware of the fact that women are still struggling. Um, And I think what happened with, you know, the the Roe versus Wade decision, I think, opened a lot of eyes. You know, I think that from the perspective of, oh, that actually affects men directly too. Exactly. That kind of lit a fire in a lot of, a lot of men to fight for women's causes, which is, we'll take it any way we can get it. Yeah. One, one cool tip, because um, one of my current passions and one of my contracts, because um, I am 
multi-industry sector uh, licensed and working with contracts with different companies, but one of them is a financial brokerage. And the thing that I love that I ran across um, as far as couples and trying to figure out finances, because that's a struggle. And when in America, when the women make less statistically than men overall by a pretty big percent, and then you get into these situations where the guy's like, no, we have to split things 50-50. <laughs> or even if the girl's saying that, but she can't bring in 50-50. I loved the scenario that someone suggested that I read about. And it said, take a percent. So take all the money you have coming in and with the you know roof over the head that you're sharing or the electricity or the food or whatever, split that percent. So then look at your incomes. What percent of that overall money coming in does the girl bring in or the guy or you know the couple either way? And whoever brings in 40% pays 40% of that. Whoever brings in 60% pays 60%. And I didn't hear that till later in life. I'd heard a lot of other situations and examples and people saying, well, this kind of works for us and that kind of works for us. But when I ran across that and tried it, that actually works. Like then you can look at, okay, my housing, our housing should never be 20% total, but within that 20%, this person can bring in 10, you know, or 15 and this other person can bring in, you know, 10 or 15 and divvy it up just percent. That's brilliant. I thought so too. I was like, that that's a workable model. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I don't think people understand it's not for lack of trying that we're bringing in less, you know, we, what was this thing we posted the other day, Nan, like women get assigned 10% more work. I saw that and I was like, I've lived that. Yeah. yeah. If not more than 10 And not only do we get paid less, but they expect us to work more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting because looking at your biases and just like even self-assessing, it, it's hard to recognize because it's so subtle. Like you, you really have to like put your thinking cap on and put different hats for different people and situations that you've been in on and see your reactions, your gut reactions to it. Cause if you've been raised a certain way, if you've been raised completely surrounded in like misogyny or something like that, it's subconscious. You're not even aware of the little things you're doing that might move something in a certain direction. So um, self-awareness and trying to like always learn and grow, I think is really important. Well, I also think it's interesting. This is the, I'm having a total Oprah light bulb moment in this conversation. Um, but it was also interesting because we are taught that we need to be strong and independent and be able to take care of ourselves. So for me, that means I have to be able to cover myself a hundred percent that I can't, I, you know, even if I'm sharing expenses with someone else, it's like, yes, but I want to know that I can pay 100% of those bills. So it wouldn't even have occurred to me to be like, right, but if I'm bringing in X percentage of the income, simply, simply because of society, <laughs> you know, not for lack of, of hard work, um, I need to cut myself some slack that that's an okay perspective to look at. Yeah. It's really interesting. Burnout is really easy, um, especially in a lot of the workforce social models, you know, historically over the past 50 years, it's 
it's too easy to get burnt out. When right before I went back to school, I w- left a like full-time management job, but it, it was in an industry where it's 24 seven. It was like kind of first responder. And so I had been doing that for at least five years where even if the phone rang at 2 a.m., I was still expected to be back at 8 a.m. And it took me about two years to recover from chronic fatigue. And I didn't even know that was the thing. I was like laying in bed researching things about being tired all the time. So so be kind and to yourself, people like don't feel like you have to do it all. Yeah. And Amy and I were just talking yesterday about everyone is experiencing that right now. Like none of us are really focusing on how difficult the last few years have been for everyone, you know, the pandemic and lockdown and the politics and everything. It's just been, you know, it's been traumatic for all of us. And I don't think anyone really talks truly about how burnt out everyone is you know we're supposed to be like okay pandemic's over everybody back to normal life it's like no we're tired we're burnt out we're emotionally traumatized and how do we heal (laughs) yeah it takes time to unpack that and that's part of the reasons why at least over here on the west coast a lot of people i know are having a hard time even finding counselors that can take any new patients so life coaches are getting a lot of business right now too but yeah seeking out resources to help work through things like that that where you're stuck um are really important yeah i lost my dad um to covid in 2021 we and there's two other deaths in the family that year too so my brother and i ended up doing a lot of dual traveling together (laughs) <laughs> and and we're still kind of unpacking that and like checking in with each other and being like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm sorry to hear about your dad. That's terrible. I'm glad you have your brother to uh, has that support system. Yeah, coming, seeking out friends and family in situations like that, because it can be a natural tendency to like just hide or distance yourself from people. And so fighting that a little bit, even if it's just reaching out and telling someone, Hey, I'm thinking about you today, that can start conversations and that can start healing. Yeah. And I think especially because of COVID, we're so used to now not being able to seek each other out. You know, it's like, it's, it's compounded by kind of that natural instinct when you have a loss to isolate anyway, but then, then we're all in this mode where we isolate. That's what we do. Yeah. And that's okay for a little bit, but at some point, you know, humans are social creatures and some of the only ways that we can heal are by talking to someone outside of ourselves. So this is a big loaded question, but um, what's your Uh dream for women? My dream for women. I don't know if I've ever put a, a, a label just like saying, okay, women. And then my dream for them. That's a cool one. I like that. I would have to actually think about it. I mean, I could say like, what's my dream for humanity? Like I've thought about that. Like I would love to see the, like the big corporations that have the power to see how close they can get to like a neutral full circle use of the resources on the planet. I would love to see that there are basic cost of living resources for every population. So, you know, you know, you can go to the ER without getting a $10,000 bill. You know that you can get food, you can get housing. 
when I first moved to, to Washington, I had, like I got a car shortly thereafter, but I ended up living in my car for a week or two, <laughs> you know, and it's having just the, the minimum like household things that make you feel safe and protected, you know, that type of stuff. I would love to see things like that in place for humanity because globally we have enough resources way beyond enough resources to make that happen for humanity. You know, some basic education that isn't useless would be really nice. <laughs> Things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that one. I guess in America for women, I would love, love, love to see that there's like at least an equal ratio of women represented in power positions as men. That would make me super happy. Yeah, and that when they're in those power positions that they actually are given the authority and and the power. Yeah. Yeah. That that actually maybe that that would be the answer to the question. Um, would be like that kind of equal power for women in our country. Yeah. I think that's really critical and still amazingly so far behind in where it where it should be. What advice would you give your younger self? I would give my younger self a few tips, and I I hope this helps other girls out there. Um, if you were raised in an environment that was devoid of trust and respect, study those, learn about those, because you're going to have to learn from the outside in. You, If you were not innately socialized with those two key components that make relationships last, you're going to have to do the work to learn about it from the outside in. So read books by like the Gottman Institute, you know, educate yourself. And then slowly in your environment, as you start to recognize those behaviors from other people, those are the relationships you want to feed. You want to give those types of relationships your time and attention, because that's going to take you so far in life. That's, you know, going to help make you safer, help make you happier and healthier. That would be number one. Number two probably would be learn about money. So if you are any, if you got any kind of high school education, like I got, you learned, you know, some basic math. They had us do one example about how to trade stocks once for like a month. And there was no education on money. And money is the minute you step out that door, you get in a car, you get on a bus, like you have to use this stuff. You are, you're literally forced to operate in a society where that is the interaction of almost every point of contact that you're outside of your friend, even in your house, because you have to pay for that too. So learn about money, make that a thing, a time and an effort that you also learn about. I can keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those, that's one of those things they should teach you in school, right? It just blows my mind that that is not something that you get taught in school. It's just yeah. finances, how to open a bank account, how to get a credit card, how to balance your checkbook, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Why don't we get taught that? I, I don't think I learned what the term passive income was until like maybe 20 years ago or so, 15, 20 years ago. It was not even in my world or scope or landscape. I had no clue what that was. Yeah. The next one I would say is learn about nutrition. <laughs> so if you are not in a in a school where they teach you anything beyond a basic nutrition class, go like find actual, there's like, we have an Institute here called the Bastier Institute and 
they're like a trust trustworthy point of contact, but find ways to educate yourself about nutrition because that will affect what you put in your mouth and what you put in your mouth like that affects your entire life, just like your knowledge of money. So I, when I was 20, I think 25 or 26, I was working full-time going to school full-time and all of a sudden, you know, when you get past those teen years, like your body's metabolism slows down. And I was like, whoa, I just gained 20 pounds. <laughs> like I wasn't doing anything different, but it was that natural, you know, progression that happens when you age. And so luckily I was in, um, healthcare related classes at the time. And I was like, okay, well, if I can do one thing and that's all I have the bandwidth to do right now, what one thing can I do that'll help with this issue, this weight gain issue. And I thought about it for a while and I'm like, okay, the one thing I know I can do that would be hard, but doable is I just will choose not to eat food where they have put sugar into the food. And I lost that weight plus an extra 10 pounds and without exercise, because I didn't even have time to exercise at that point. And so that would be the other advice um, that I might've even given my younger self. So I didn't even get to the point where I had to learn the hard way is educate yourself about nutrition and food and eating habits. Yeah, that's a really good one. The sugar thing is key and it's really hard for a sugar addict like myself, but I try, I try. Well, and yeah, and we all are. I mean, I, yeah. I there's got to be so many studies I want to send you links to, but there's studies where they've done brain scans and pure white processed sugar, like table sugar, just the straight sucrose or glucose, like that shows up as like cocaine in someone's brain. The brain fires just as it does when someone does cocaine. So yeah, it's addicting. We, we went yesterday morning, we we had a, an appointment that ended up getting canceled and we ended up together. So we, there's a new bakery down the street. We're like, let's just cheat and have a, a split, split some muffins. And I was buzzed <laughs> all day like it just was that like humming in in my head all day because I, I try not to eat you know that kind of sugar all the time but and woke up in the middle of the night with a headache yeah <laughs> oh yeah that's the thing yep yeah it's really really brutal or the sugar crash that's what sometimes i'll be polite when people give me something if i just can't muster the no thank you because mm -hmm. i don't want to hurt their feelings they might have handmade it or something <laughs> and if it has that sugar in it i'll need a nap within two hours yeah, definitely it's worth it sometimes though <laughs> <laughs> birthdays no, anniversaries <laughs> Yeah, I definitely still struggle with the like, oh, you brought home another cookie. All right. I'll just have a little bite. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard habit. It's a hard habit to break for sure. Yeah. What's your definition of success? My definition of success is when you found the perfect balance. Um, so for me, it's a work-life balance. And other, other people struggle with different balances. It might be a kid's work balance or a school significant other balance, you know, like people that are in med school and stuff like that, if they have a significant other, like they might not see each other for two weeks at a time. So in my mind, it's finding that perfect work-life balance and also having a way that you're tracking an on-time retirement, because through my work at the financial brokerage, there's a crisis in America right now where 50% of the people that are currently working and trying to retire are not going to have enough money to retire. And so 
and there's all kinds of apps that you can use um, to help track and be on time for retirement. But having that wheel turning and being able to know that that is on track to hit an age at some point where you don't have to punch a clock for someone else. And then also having a work-life balance is like this um, juggling act because it's three huge balls that if you can't keep them moving and you can't keep them going, like you're not going to be successful. But if you can keep juggling with those, if you can learn how to make them work with each other and flow where you're not dropping any one of them at any particular time, then you're doing it right. You're successful. You're not going to hit chronic fatigue for two years like I did. It's a hard lesson to learn for sure. And I think, again, we don't have those retirement conversations and tools put in place when we're young either. It's one of those things like if you start putting away money when you're 22 years old, you're ahead of the game and you're nine times out of 10, you're going to be fine. But they don't teach us to do that. So it's another important educational element, I think. Big yeah. time. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. yeah. It surprises me that within our culture, the older, it's just not normal. I know there's other like subcultures or like um, immigrant cultures where it might be more normal, but just in the ones that I was raised in, which is like farmers, you know, three generations back, it was like farmers from Minnesota. And before that, at some point people came over, you know, from Germany and stuff, but the conversations about money along with other things, you know, like sex, drugs, whatever, but money is for some reason in that no-go zone where a lot of times the grandparents or the parents don't talk about money or what they're learning or what they learned they did wrong and now they're doing something better and they don't like pass on that knowledge. It's really fascinating to me that that's such, such a dead zone for conversations. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you're taught it's not polite. It's not polite conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And and everybody I know was raised that way in our generation. It's interesting. Do you have a mantra that you live by? A short one. Ah! <laughs> I do kind of. Yeah. So sometimes when I'm like waking up or going to sleep, um, I'll just kind of like say to God or the universe or, you know, whatever anyone else believes in, I'll just be like, help me, like, help me, put me where you want me today. Help me to do the things that are the best, you know, optimal experience for how I can make the world a better place. And I think by checking in with that, and it's not like a, a scripted mantra, but just checking in and like not putting my head down and working and trying to check mark off boxes mindlessly just to like power through things, then it helps me be more aware of my environment because, and this is a cool Oprah one too. She was like, the universe, you know, will talk to you. But in my experience, it talks to you by a whisper. And if you don't listen, then it's a tap on the shoulder. If you don't listen, then, you know, it's uh, like face slap or shove or something like that. And then if you still don't listen, you hit a brick wall. <laughs> and I've kind of found that to be true is like, even if you're doing things for good intentions and you're like, I'm a good person, I'm doing this for a good intention. Like it logically makes all the sense, but if you don't kind of stop and check in and try to realize there's things 
you know, a whole network of a universe and all these other people and things in it around you. So there's always going to be things you don't know. You might miss something that is the better way or the better choice or the better path because you're just being completely logical. Yeah, very, very true. Um, what's your proudest achievement on your journey so far? Ah, the bachelors. I never thought I would have a bachelor's. <laughs> I have dyslexia. And so just getting through like schools, high school and things like that was challenging. Luckily, things are a lot easier than they used to been, be, you know, when I was younger. But then getting through my associates was super hard because I was also working the entire time. It was all in like nursing classes because I thought I was going to go into nursing. So anatomy and physiology and rot memorization and having to memorize the spellings of mitochondria and all the other cool things <laughs> that was, it was super hard. But I made it through that. And then going back and like trying to do my bachelor's, I didn't know if I would be able to actually get it or finish it, but I always had like this thirst and this drive and this, like, I was just compelled. Like I, I have to, you know, in America today, it seems like this bachelor's is a really safe zone to have on your resume. If I need to go work somewhere, at least I, you know, can try to keep myself out of the few jobs I've always said I don't want to do like slinging burgers, even though burgers can be delicious. <laughs> you know? And so I finally uh, got through that and it took twice. Like I first started it in 2014 and I had to drop out because I didn't want to lose my house. So I had to go work full time. And then I finally got to go back in 2019 and finally finished it in 2021. And, and I've never like walked the stage to get the diploma. I never bought a cap and gown, but I decided for this I would because I didn't know if I'd ever, you know, do something bigger or more. And I started crying, <laughs> walking down the stage to go get the diploma. Like, I'm already starting. Yeah, it's, it's a huge accomplishment and you should be proud of yourself. And, you know, it's a real great example and lesson for other people, the tenacity of of going back and doing it when you were ready and, and were able to. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what does the phrase, the power of passionistas mean to you? To me, when I hear that, I have this instant visual of like all these ladies hanging out and having fun and smiling and supporting each other. So on a small scale in my neighborhood, all the lady business owners that I meet, I make sure to go to their shops first. If if I can replace something I normally routinely get and that's something they have, I'll go out of my way. I'll go an extra five minutes to go to their shop. And so when I see your websites and your interviews and your passionistas, um, the box, the subscription box and everything, that's what I see. And it's just like a whole big level up where it can be global and it can be online. Yes, thank you for that. We we appreciate that. Well, that's what we're trying. Global movement, women supporting women. So hopefully we'll see that through. Um, so one last just question just for fun. Um, if you could pick one woman in history or a female pop culture icon and walk mm -hmm. in her shoes for one day, who would you pick and why? Janine Benyus, if I'm saying her name correctly, um, she wrote a book called Biomimicry and she ended up creating an institute as well wrapped around it. But the whole, and I think she was a, like a biologist by trade. I could be wrong, but the whole concept of biomimicry is looking at nature first when you're going to engineer a part, when you're going to create 
a machine or just anything like looking and observing the way nature solves that problem first. And if people want to look up that Institute, they have the most amazing projects where people all around the world have taken that change of creation where they went first to go see if that problem and how that problem was solved in nature and then apply that to what they were making. And they even have like children's level materials, um, but just all over the world, there's all kinds of groups now that they'll post these stories about. And I think they have like um, a scholarship or a grant sometimes that companies can apply for, but it makes my heart so happy to see that because if, if Amazon, you know, if Facebook, if Tesla, if those types of companies were doing it like this, that means they care about the world. Like they might say, okay, well, we can do it faster, cheaper this way, but that's going to destroy a rainforest. Whereas if we spend a little more time and money over here, we can accomplish the same goal and not destroy a whole rainforest. And so she would be, she would be the one I would love to see people she's met in the places she's been like, and that she could change their lives this way by writing a book and coming up with a term that explained it. Cause she, I think one of the YouTubes I saw, she was like, well, I wanted to write a book and I wanted to write it about this, but there was no, no word out there for it. So I had to create a word for it. So I created biomimicry and that would, that would just be incredible. Well, we have come to the end of our hour, Holly, that flew by. We could talk to you forever. You are a incredible, fabulous, intelligent, brilliant soul. And we have enjoyed talking to you so much. And we can't wait to see all the amazing things that you're going to do and you are doing and are going to continue to do. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. It, It was amazing. Thanks for listening to the Passionistas Project podcast and our interview with Holly Berry. To get connected to nature through the language of flowers, visit anaturaldesign.com. And be sure to visit thepassionistasproject.com to sign up for our mailing list, find all the ways you can follow us on social media, and join our worldwide community of women working together to level the playing field for us all. We'll be back next week with another passionista who's defining her success on her own terms and breaking down the barriers for herself and women everywhere. Until then, stay well and stay passionate.